0: time for the outspoken cyclist your weekly conversation about bicycles cyclists trails travel advocacy the bike industry and much much more you can subscribe to our weekly podcast at outspokencyclist.com or through your favorite podcasting app to listen anytime now here's your host diane jenks
1: Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks, and this is our show for December 18th, 2021. It just doesn't seem possible that this year is almost over, but looking back, it's been a year filled with ups and downs, and it seems as if nothing is or ever will be the same. It has certainly been a year of uncertainty and terror for the people of Afghanistan. Today, Shannon Galpin and I catch up on the evacuations. Yes, they are still ongoing, and where things stand. With the help of so many people, governments, and organizations, many Afghans were able to escape the Taliban and start new lives in other countries. But there are still many Afghan women, and cyclists especially, who are not out, and there is still a lot of work to do. Shannon, who has been spearheading the efforts on so many fronts, will fill us in. Then, from Scotland, we hop over to just south of London to speak with Dove Tate, founder of the Parkour Wheel Company. Dove's study into bicycle wheel aerodynamics led to the formation of the company and to the wheel sets they now offer. And Parkour has partnered with Ecology, an organization that's goal is to offset carbon footprints and plant trees, millions of them. Parkour's Watts for Trees campaign is one of the more innovative programs I've run across and perhaps a good last-minute gift, too. The situation in Afghanistan is deteriorating daily. Famine, illness, And now a world that seems to be looking away is making evacuating women, especially women athletes, cyclists, more dangerous and fraught with more complications. It all begs the question, one that has been asked over and over, what is keeping the cycling community from helping to evacuate, resettle, and protect Afghan cyclists? The ones who are out or about to be evacuated are not the entire story, and in fact, their stories are ongoing anyway. If we can perhaps agree that the way the situation in Afghanistan was handled badly in the beginning, it has only become more difficult without the attention and financial support that was there at the start and seems to have gone away. This is not a pretty holiday story. It is one that I believe should be told and that whatever we can each do, Whether it is to donate money or offer help in whatever form works, now is the time to do it. Hi, Shannon. Welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm so excited to catch up with you. How are you?
2: Oh, thank you for having me back. Um, It feels like a lifetime since I last talked to you. It feels, yeah, time is this weird construct right now.
1: It is. It is. And it seems like you're doing Better. It was just frantic the last time we spoke.
2: It was. It, it was very bizarre. I think the first two months, probably, like, uh, yeah, because August, September, the first two months were just this insane pace that was, like, I could feel my blood pressure, like, just way up top and, uh, adre- like, kind of moving on adrenaline, um, you know, sleeping an hour a night and you know it was just it it was uh one not sustainable but also just i think we were all, everyone who was working on this was all uh you, you just manned the decks at all times everybody slept with their phones um and then now it feels it's a calmer pace but that's not necessarily a good thing it's you know the the blocks are still there for the afghan evacuation but it is allowing time to to plan um and i'm evacuating you know, probably two, two groups of people, which is anywhere from two to nine people. Um, I'm evacuating on average two a week. So the evacuation is still continuing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all by road and it's all really, really difficult, but I mean, I have 40 people right now outside of the country waiting uh, that are just recent evacuations that we were able to evacuate and um, to Pakistan, that now need onward movement.
1: So, Let's let's recap a little bit. I, I know numbers are really important, mm. but maybe you won't have the exact numbers, but that's okay. How many people have you been able to evacuate, including the 40 right now?
2: So I have been involved in approximately 80 evacuations of Afghan cyclists and family members. That does not count. For obvious reasons that we can discuss, the that does not to count the UCI convoy, um, and then I've been involved in about three hundred other evacuations where I've just I've been involved. Wow, yeah, it's insane.
1: That is insane. I, I can remember. <laughs> it seems like it was so long ago, and it was really only four months. But I can remember day one of all of this. Actually, mm-hmm. you know, day one. So. Let's talk about the 80 cyclists and their family members. Mm-hmm. Where are they? And, and what is their status right now?
2: The very first group that I got out are in Uganda. They've all all four are siblings that have been accepted to university in the U.S. So that's huge because that way they don't have to uh, go and they can literally go and start school. Three are accepted to BARD. Um, and I don't know about the last one. I believe it's um, university a university in DC, but I'm not positive. Um, she hasn't confirmed it but the, the, the three siblings got into bard. And um, then we've got 18 that are in UAE that were part of the very first convoy with Israel, Aid, um, my only convoy with Israel. Aid. they're waiting for Canada still and we have another family, in the UAE that was on that convoy that is trying to unify in France with one of the original national team members, Frozon, who was part of uh, Afghan Cycles. Um, So we're trying to unify that family. We had another family that went to uh, Germany. We have um, another two that went to Sweden. And... We think that's I'm trying to get that's everybody out. There, there's a couple of athletes that are in the U.S. that were multi, you know, that were the work of other organizations um, that I was part of. Then, we, yeah, everyone else right now is in Pakistan or or Afghanistan. I'm evacuating athletes and family members from both the national team that were left behind and the BAMI on cycling team. Um, And there's there's another young woman who is in a province that I will not name because her and her family are in hiding that is separate from Kabul and Bamiyan. And she has been like, like most of those still left in Afghanistan, not just abandoned, but also disavowed by the Afghan Cycling Federation. And so that's our biggest barrier right now is is fighting to get the Afghan cyclists out without the help of UCI or the Afghan Cycling Federation.
1: Let's talk about that for a moment. First, let me remind listeners, I'm speaking with Shannon Galpin. She is in Scotland and now lives in Scotland Scotland permanently. She's Now you're a dual citizen,
2: right? My daughter is dual citizen. Uh, I, I am not, which is why she was fine. She could arrive, no problem. Okay. I, on the other hand, had to jump through some hoops. Okay, so
1: you jump through those hoops and now you can relax on that front. But this has been fraught, this whole process has been fraught with the same kind of turmoil that you faced every time something came up in Afghanistan as you were working with these women to allow them to ride a bike, race a bike, be cyclists. What the hell's going on? What is with the UCI? What is with the Afghan Cycling Federation that keeps putting up these roadblocks?
2: Well, I'll start with what I feel is the easier answer, which is the Afghan Cycling Federation. and it is about ego control, power, money. really, it's about power at the end of the day. And unfortunately, we've seen this historically play out with over the last decade with the Afghan Cycling Federation and a desire to control, whether that is money, whether that is um, whether that is the power to you know decision making for prestige. Um, and what we've unfortunately had is a cycling federation that is not protecting its cyclists. It's abandoning, threatening, harassing, and abusing its cyclists. And so as we see this playing out against the backdrop of an evacuation, it's not just harassment and abuse, which would be bad enough. It is willful obstruction of the evacuation. and. Uh, threatening cyclists left behind in Afghanistan, threatening cyclists that have gotten out, certainly threatening and harassing me, doxing journalists publicly, and you know we've we've talked about this before that the Afghan Cycling Federation has had a history of abuse and corruption. This uh, current president, President Fazli, has proved himself to be exactly the same. And unfortunately, the, the situation is is that UCI have chosen to protect him and align with him and to ignore the multiple charges of abuse and harassment to save face. That's, that's the only reason I can think that UCI is doing this is to save face um, instead of engaging in conversation.
1: What would they lose by looking at the situation and realizing the truth of it and saying something about it. I mean, are they too small to be able to say, I made a mistake?
2: Possibly. You know, I think that there's politics at play, probably. Um, there was at least before. Like I don't under I don't I don't work with UCI and, and so sometimes I think it, it is more political than I imagine and and that I think. But they could have been the heroes here by acknowledging that there were cyclists still in Afghanistan that needed support and to engage with those of us who were working to evacuate them all. And instead they decided to call me a disruptor and say that I just was complaining versus they could have been an ally. Whether or not they wanted to support an abusive federation is their choice, although it goes against their charter, which says that they have a zero tolerance for abuse but they you know they were told before the convoy left exactly what the situation was in writing to the president so david knows everything he was told in writing after we had conversations about putting together the convoy list together so that cyclists didn't get left out after i sent a email to him explaining the corruption and abuse of sorry, the corruption of the prior federation, I can't claim that now, but certainly the abuse and harassment that was happening and that we had proof of. A week later, he was honoring the same person, President Fosley in Flanders with a merit award. And I think it does come back to saving face and not wanting to look like you're supporting abuse. But at some point you have to recognize that you made the wrong decision And that cyclists are continuing to be harassed, threatened, and abused by the people you've given refuge to in Switzerland.
1: Wow. What kind of, and maybe you don't know, what kind of harassment and abuse are they experiencing? And now this is going to sound weird because, of course, they're coming from such a horrible situation. But is there a way for them to speak out?
2: Yeah, we actually have an investigation going on with multiple countries and journalists who have been collecting all the audio files, because luckily the Federation has done much of this via audio. They've done much of it on social media, so we have screen grabs. The abuse is widespread. Uh, The harassment is just um, unnecessary, because essentially what is happening is that you you are adding a layer of trauma to an already desperately traumatic situation and you're in charge of these athletes you're the federation your job is to protect your athletes your job is certainly to aid in getting them to safety and instead um it has just there has been nothing positive coming out of Fosley or his brother who is also Fosley um and they both were given sanctuary in Switzerland and I don't begrudge that I don't I'm not the person who decides that I begrudge that now from the safety of Switzerland, you are actively trying to prevent the cyclists that are supposed to be under the care of the federation safe evacuation. You're disavowing cyclists, denying they're even part of the cycling federation. You're calling other cyclists, not real cyclists, not real cyclists because they don't cause you know why what is what it doesn't affect your ability to be safe? Why are you? threatening and trying to take away the uh, road to safety for cyclists it is petty and it's abusive and UCI is now to blame because before I was like okay well things are complicated No, no you know you've been told by multiple people there's a paper trail multiple people know at very high levels all the way up to the president being told directly and they chose to ignore it And those of us like me are still doing the work to evacuate the cyclists that are not like this. They should be helping clean up this mess or at least help me fund it.
1: (laughs) Well, there, there is that. And I do want to get to that. What it's, what it's taking to do this. Let's take a real quick break and we'll be right back. We're speaking with Shannon Galpin. She is in Scotland still after four months, continuing to help evacuate from Afghanistan cyclists and their families. You're listening to the Outspoken Cyclist. Bicycle crash is not an accident, and when you find yourself in a situation that calls for experienced, effective, and positive legal support and advocacy, you can depend on any of North America's independent Bike Law members. Bike Law's cycling attorneys are members of our community committed to the pursuit of cycling safety and justice. For more information about Bike Law, log on to bike law dot com. They're on your left, protecting your rights. We are back. We're speaking with Shannon Galpin. She is my guest again, and I'm so pleased to have her here. She looks good. I get to see her. She looks good. You don't look nearly as tired as you did the last time I saw you.
2: I'm sleeping a little bit more. Bless you. I, I, I still feel haggard, but I'm I'm grateful for the compliment. <laughs> that says a lot about how bad things were. I
1: know the feeling. So, let's talk a little bit about the costs of getting these athletes out it's not just money it is the um the visas and the through countries and the places where they have to stay for a certain period of time take us through an evacuation how does it work
2: well the the hardest thing is the first thing which is do they have a passport and up in you know from the beginning most of our afghan Um, colleagues did not have passports, or you maybe had, you know, maybe one in, maybe one in five had a passport. And in the beginning of the evacuation, that was not a deterrent, because it was a humanitarian mission. And so lots of people were able to get on planes with their IDs with, you know, and, and, and process outside of the country, which was the idea. Now, this is not the situation, you have to have a passport to cross a border. And so how can you do that when the passport offices were closed up until a couple of weeks ago? And now that they're open, do you, if you are being hunted, if you are in hiding, do you dare go to a Taliban run passport office and give up your information and your biometrics? Like yeah, that's a big choice. We had other pathways, which is how we got the eighty some people that I, that we've been able to get out. We were We were getting passports processed in another way but that pathway is not available anymore. It's been hurdles to the extent of passport books being uh, like running out of enough passport books. Um, it's, It's an insanity. So then you have to get a visa and there's only a couple of countries that will give visas to Afghans. And this has to be done electronically because all of the embassies are closed. None of these embassies are open. So how can you get a passport or how can you get a visa if you're lucky enough to have a passport because there's no embassy so afghans are being told by canada the u.s germany france italy we can give you a visa when you can come to an embassy oh well how are we going to do that when they can't leave the country because they don't have a visa it's it's maddening
1: catch 22 Mm -hmm. exactly and nobody's at the embassies if everybody's home with COVID. Yeah. I mean,
2: well, and all the embassies closed except three.
1: You mean, You mean within Afghanistan?
2: Within Afghanistan. Oh, yes. And, and I see. Yeah. And you're right. With, within other countries, you still, yeah, you've got COVID. People are working from home. So the, the really the, the only option is to evacuate by road one car at a time you know, and, and you have to arrange the visas then you have to, you have to get passport, you have to arrange visas. Then it's a, then it's a matter of arranging safe travel and watching the border situation, which has continued to evolve. It's been closed. It's been open. It's been closed. It's been open. Sometimes the Pakistani side wouldn't accept the visas that were procured, even though they were legal, they changed it. And so people have, were sent back, had to get new visas. You know, visas are, anywhere for, are, are an average, if we're getting them processed quickly, $600. That's not, that's not easy. Um, you've got the evacuation costs in general, two to $3,000 per person. And then once you get them out, you, you, what you said is exactly right. You have to be able to support them. They left with one backpack and no money. How are they going to support themselves? They need to at least have a guest house, a safe guest house, and food, and that is averaging five hundred dollars per person per month. It's an enormous expense, and we have a situation now in Afghanistan beyond uh, you know sports being banned, girls' education being banned um you know beyond the the tragedies of your of your social network and community being upended and your future being upended you also now have famine right. and it's not just that people are hungry people are now starving in afghanistan because there is not enough aid because the western countries not only abandoned afghanistan but also abandoned the aid because they don't want to deal with the Taliban. And so people are starving.
1: It's horrific. It is horrific. It is horrific. Wow. Wow. Are there countries stepping up at all to say, we will take your refugees. We will help
2: you. Are you getting some help? No, not really. I mean, You'll, you'll hear of like, oh, Canada took a group or the UK, you know, had this FIFA group that came in, uh, not, wasn't through FIFA, but it's a football group. Um, you know, it's so sporadic and far between it's a, you know, it's, it's not like, okay, uh, Canada has a pathway or the UK has a pathway. The UK hasn't even set up its immigration yet. They don't even have their immigration set up yet in the UK. Um, they should have been one of the biggest players in taking in refugees, and they still don't even. Have, yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, the, with the U.S., I mean, I'm not even trying to get any of our cyclists to the U.S. There's no way that they will be considered in the U.S. because there are so many uh, translators, journalists, um, you know, SIV, uh, SIV holders, P1 visas, which are the kind of the, the top level visa um, that there's a huge backload of so many that were direct military interpreters and military support that still aren't out they're they're, They come above athletes and activists. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's still this enormous blockade. It's just a slower pace now because you're not rushing to get people onto planes or trying, trying to navigate this mess. We know what the mess is. We don't have to navigate it now now we just have to go step by step and, and push through. But really, like I have 10 people I could evacuate tomorrow, but I don't have any more money. Nobody else is going to evacuate them. That's yeah. the
1: last thing I want to talk about is there is a fund and it it is not growing at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're about ready to exhaust it anyway. I want to know, this is the time of year when people look at giving and it's gonna be winter in Afghanistan. People are starving. And even though we're talking just athletes and their families, it's getting more people out and people need to get out. All right, let's tell my listeners and the world <laughs> how they can mm-hmm. help to get these these people out of this country and to, to a safe place.
2: Yeah, I think it is such a, I mean, I've said this before, I'm running out of the right vocabulary. It is such a tragedy, which feels woefully inept to, to the, same, the strong enough word um, to say that now the, only, the main barrier is money. Because I think everybody's tired of hearing that. Everybody's tired of asking for money. But the fact is, is that this is a citizen-led evacuation. People like me are doing the work that governments should be doing and governments would be paying the money to do it if they were. Um instead it's left to those of us who are still in the fight, still evacuating people and then still keeping them safe. We're not abandoning them in another country. We are getting them safe and then maintaining them and then fighting to get them resettled. We have very high hopes that Italy is going to take our group that's in that is now babes into Pakistan. Um we have an incredible colleague There, uh, Francesca, who's an Italian journalist, who has been really fighting hard to get this group of athletes um, accepted into Italy, and that would take a huge pressure off because, as I said, five hundred dollars a month per person, and we have forty people there. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money every month. And then we, you know, we're paying for UNHCR registration, which is a thousand a month if needed. We're paying for visa extensions, which is five hundred per person. Um, it's, it, all of it is untenable, but it really comes down to, we need, we need the cycling industry. We need cyclists. We need, you know, we need everyone to recognize that this is our problem. This is, this is not a distant problem. That's one that's going to go away because it's not, but also that isn't our problem. It is our problem, you know, in the same way that I believe that, uh, I do not have rights as a white woman if other women around the world or in my community do not have the same rights. You know, if one of us doesn't have rights, none of us have rights. And I feel this it's exactly the same way. If we want to talk about cycling as, and bikes in particular, as a vehicle for social justice, as an agent of change, as a tool to fight climate justice or climate change, as, you know, this, this incredible egalitarian vehicle then you cannot abandon the people who fought with their lives to ride a bike. Um, you cannot abandon cyclists, you know, that it is, it isn't about, um, someone else's problem. Right. You know, we have to care enough to recognize that those that we celebrate and we, we hold up as, as beacons of inspiration, um, are now the people whose lives are at, threat. And it is all of our responsibility to keep each other safe. This is, this is not going away. So
1: let's give listeners the, the website to donate. And I guess the last question I have, which I wanted to bring up before, we'll give them, we'll give them the website. It'll be up on our website too, is how is the pandemic affecting this, I i didn't, you know, that's one, it's like throwing, you know, um, uh, more around to the fire, you know, more wood on the fire. Yeah,
2: no, definitely. In the beginning, it definitely, you could see that it could be used as an excuse. And that was before Omicron was was running rampant because countries could say, well, our borders are closed. You know, we, because of COVID, not right. because of, you know, XYZ. And so we saw that with you know, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and, and other countries that you know it's a it's a legitimate uh, fear, but you can put measures in place. All the Afghans, when when like almost overnight, when the news came out of in Holland that this plane had landed and there were there was this new virus strain, and South Africa announced announced what they had been discovering around Omicron every single afghan i knew that was still in afghanistan was was messaging me overnight saying does this mean borders are going to close does this mean our chance is over like they are aware of what's happening and that that could affect their chance because all i can do is keep saying the evacuation is continuing i'm not done we, you know this is not over it's just four months on everyone is getting desperate. everyone is is taking chances they maybe wouldn't take otherwise because they feel that, you know, that window is closing and that they've been abandoned.
1: Are there vaccines in Afghanistan? Are they is there is there an ability to be vaccinated, boosted?
2: It's definitely not boosted. I can't, you know, that's actually a question I haven't asked is what the vaccination policy has been. I don't think there has been one, but don't quote me on that. I know that during the height of COVID, there were 300 ventilators in the entire country. And yeah, Afghans, it was running rampant and Afghans were not even going to the hospital because what could be done? Nothing. Um, it was that was already you know a tragedy of epic proportions last year and so now not only is that something where still the healthcare system is is decimated i mean i know several cyclists who are nurses they were you know as of you know uh, september they were not allowed to go back to work and so you've got to also have a healthcare system that's decimated you've got uh, i've already read many reports of hospitals that have not been able to pay staff There's trauma on so many levels. And are we are we going to evacuate everyone? Of course not. I mean you can't empty a country and you 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 would hope that what you can do is save it is a matter now of saying save the lives, which which I struggle with. I you know I'm very careful of using the word save, but in this case it is save the lives of those who are directly targeted and are in hiding and the cyclists were the are the most at risk athletic group in the country because of what they did and the barriers they broke because of how controversial it was for women to ride bikes. And they are in hiding. their families are in hiding. In some cases, they've been disavowed by their families because they're trying to keep safe. And then you add in you know the 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 trauma of being abandoned and being disavowed by your federation, um, seeing that there are no more ways out. And then, yeah, COVID and starvation.
1: Wow, it is a triple whammy. It really is. What is the fund? Let's get it out there.
2: So, the best thing right now is there is the Fund Lee, which we, we were running uh, at the beginning of the evacuation, is still ongoing. I extended it till January 1st. And at the same time, we have a just giving campaign up um, that goes directly into a fund with iPro Bono. I pro bono is a human rights organization that I will now be working with for the long term so that we can have a fund underneath a human rights organization that will allow us to look at this as a long term, not just just the resettlement, but also the evacuation does not end at the end of the year. The evacuation will be ongoing.
1: All right. We will post both of those links. And um, I want to say Happy holidays to you and to devin. and I'm so sorry that we still have to report this, but I think it's important this time of year, especially if people are looking to make a contribution, especially on a human rights level, this is it as a cyclist it is
2: you can you can make sure that as we celebrate the holidays and as we you come together with family or not, depending on covid, but that we certainly are safe and warm and are able to eat a full meal that it's not that we need to feel guilty about that but we need to recognize how privileged we truly are and that that is a privilege to be that should be extended to those that are in Afghanistan and those who have evacuated but are living in limbo and and don't know if they'll ever have a home of their own.
1: Shannon, thank you so much for talking with me, catching up. It's wonderful to see you and see you healthy and to talk with you, even though the topic is still not what we want it to be.
2: No, I'm grateful.
1: Shannon Galpin joined me from her home in Scotland, evacuation headquarters, to be sure. You can find out more about the situation as it continues to unfold and make a donation at fundly.com forward slash support. Dash Afghan dash cyclists. Shannon posts updates fairly often. The other organization she mentioned is iPro Bono, a human rights organization at i dot probono.com. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk with Dove Tate, the founder of Parkour Wheels. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Jenks. Instead of the usual gift-giving product reviews we've done for many years, I thought we'd change it up with an idea that has meaning for so many of us. Climate change. Dove Tate is the founder of Parkour, a wheel company in the UK. As a triathlete, he thought wheel sets were too expensive. As an engineer at Oxford, he conducted a groundbreaking study into bicycle wheel aerodynamics with Dr. Stephen Faulkner at the Sports Engineering Department of Nottingham Trent University. The resulting study produced what is now Parkour, his wheel manufacturing company that offers a variety of models. Now, Parkour is partnering with Ecology, a program that offers a variety of options to fight climate change. Parkour has given each of its wheel sets a Watts saving number, and that in turn is the number of trees that will be planted with every pair of wheels sold. Hello, Dove. Welcome to the Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for being my guest this week. How is the UK today?
3: Oh, that's, that's uh, really kind of you to say. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. So yeah, the UK is uh, getting pretty cold and dark at this time of the year. We're... Hitting winter pretty hard. So getting out on the bike's a little bit trickier.
1: Right. Oh, yeah. You're ahead of me hours wise, five hours maybe ahead of me.
3: Something like that. Yeah. But uh nights are definitely drawing in.
1: Well, I. I want to talk about uh, the parkour team and what it's offering. I saw this Endurance Sportswire. I love this email I get every day from Endurance Sportswire. They give me all these cool stories. And this one was about something, you know, this time of year, I like to talk about things where people are giving back. And I like the idea of watts for trees. I'm looking at it going, well, what does that mean? So let's talk about parkour first. What's the background of the company and the products?
3: yeah so parkour we're a uk-based wheel brand we launched in the summer of 2016 um, with an idea of essentially making aerodynamics a little bit more accessible for all types of cyclists so i mean my background was predominantly triathlon at the time Um, i was a keen triathlete and i also have a background in aerodynamics and aerospace so the two came together and essentially i wanted a new set of wheels looked at what was available on the market. And there seemed to be a big gap between sort of your, your high-end, high-priced wheels that would treble the price of my bike um, and the sort of the low-priced um, direct from Asia options that you, you buy online, you take your chances, you're not really sure what you're getting. So really set out to sort of fill the gap with a more excessively priced wheel set that wasn't going to sort of skimp and save on in terms of delivering data to the rider. So everything that we've ever done has always been backed up by by data in terms of aerodynamics. We test in the wind tunnel regularly. That was back in 2016 over the years. We've grown from an initial product range of three wheels. Um, We now have over a dozen options available and that covers anything from rim brake through to disc brake, road, triathlon, and increasingly into, into gravel, which is a growing segment. So we're now, I would, I would argue, one of the one of the leading wheel brands, certainly in the UK in terms of research and development programs. We've had um, a great feedback from both our riders and sort of the, the wider industry. We, uh, we've got some great reviews out there. So, yeah, really just working on, on growing the business and, and trying to, to spread our message a bit wider.
1: So let me ask a couple of technical questions coming from a shop that, has always built custom wheels Mm -hmm. and a background of rim brakes versus disc brakes, just knowing what the market looks like today. Mm. What kinds of changes, because I would say 2016, we're looking at five, almost six years ago and disc brakes, while they were available, were not exactly what they are today. So I would imagine that, and I do know a lot of your wheels are carbon rim.
2: Mm.
1: So how has your, development and manufacturing changed to accommodate some of these new products in terms of disc and through axles and braking surfaces?
3: Yeah, so it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think when when we first came and, and launched, obviously the world was very much focused on rim brakes. And I think you've got to remember that the rim brake wheel had been around for, you know in terms of sort of the carbon wheel, had been around for 20 years. So there was a huge amount of research track record there. Um, so actually, there was, very, there was comparatively little innovation left to find based on the constraints that we had. Uh, and then as soon as we started seeing the introduction of disc brakes for road use, all of a sudden you're opening the floodgates from a, a research and development perspective. And what was great from our perspective was even as a relatively new entrant to the market, we were starting from the same place as everybody else. And actually, one of the great things we found is that being a smaller business, is we can react much more quickly. Um, and, and we've come up with a fair number of really interesting innovations on the disk break front. Um, now, don't get me wrong, it's not, all, um, it's not all good because it seems like there's a new standard being introduced every other week at the moment. But, uh, but no, certainly, I think that it's been, it's been fascinating from an engineering perspective because all of a sudden you start with a much emptier piece of paper. And I think even now, sort of two or three years into the sort of real hardcore um, research that's going on, we're still really only on sort of that second generation of disc brake wheelset. So actually in terms of the amount that there is still to develop and improve on, there's a, there's a lot more out there. And that's really exciting.
1: It's interesting. I haven't heard anybody take a perspective exactly like that. I've sort of railed against disc brakes because of the changes you have to make in forks and frames. But to say that there's a lot more to do and maybe some standardization will come out of it is a good thing.
3: Uh, Absolutely. I'm all for standardization. It would make everybody's life a lot easier. Um, But I think that it's just symptomatic of the fact that it's still comparatively new that there are so many new ideas going around that everybody thinks that they can, they have the better standard. Right. I think that, you know, as, as we go on, we're inevitably going to sort of come to an agreement as we're starting to see on, on these standards. But at the same time, I, I do think that is reflective of the fact that there is so much possibility in terms of development out there. Um, so, so that for me, I, I like you say, I like to focus on the exciting aspects, albeit I fully appreciate that there are some downsides.
1: Oh, good. I, I, I get that. Let me let me remind our listeners who are speaking with Dove Tate. He is with Parkour Wheels. We're going to talk about a project that he's uh, offering right now called Watts for Trees in a moment here. What are your best-selling wheel models right now? And who's manufacturing your hubs? Are you making your own hub?
3: So in terms of the best-selling, um, that's a fairly straightforward one. It is majority disc brake now so we're two-thirds disc brake one-thirds rim brake broadly speaking Um, and I think that realistically that's only going to move in one direction Um, you have to remember you know we are servicing the aftermarket so there are lots of rim brake bikes still out there we we don't intend to to stop producing rim brake wheels anytime soon Um, but I think you know we are trending towards disc brake and it is that sort of wider rimmed, um, more stable aerodynamic wheel that people are looking at as we're starting to see what's possible with with disc brakes. Um, And then to answer a question on the hubs, no, we we don't manufacture our own hubs. Um, We use a couple of Taiwanese suppliers who, frankly, have got a much better and longer track record in the industry than we could hope to have. Um, I think, you know, I've always been an advocate of making sure that we can walk before trying to run. So what we what we started off with was an off-the-shelf hub. And over time, we've started to tweak the design in partnership with our supplier to effectively learn and improve where we can. So I think, you know, what you'll see on our wheels currently is an evolution of an off-the-shelf hub. Um, so it's now been upgraded with our own specification of internals. Um, again, based on the use pattern of our riders, as we've learned over the years.
1: Do you have weight recommendations for your wheels
3: it's a good question and it's one we get a lot because unlike a lot of manufacturers we won't specify an exact number and the reason for that is simple because you know uh, let's let's put a number on it a 95 kilogram rider who is on a steady state effort riding a time trial on smooth roads is going to put far less pressure and, and force through a wheel than an 80 kilogram sprinter who's riding across the cobbles of Roubaix. So what we do suggest is that if you are approaching that sort of 90 kilogram mark, that's where we'd like to have a conversation with you so that we can find out a little bit more about you and decide whether, yes, actually our standard build is going to be suitable, or perhaps in order to deliver the ride characteristics that we want from that wheel, we need to look at an increased spoke count. And again, one of the things we do is we do have an increased spoke count build on offer for all of our wheels, which would allow either a heavier rider or a more powerful rider to experience the wheel as we want them to. The reason that we don't do it for everybody is, again, if you put in too many spokes, you over—you have an overly stiff wheel, which isn't going to work for a lighter rider or a less powerful rider. But no, I think we, we always encourage a conversation because I'd rather get to know the rider and understand what they what they need, and what they want, rather than just putting an arbitrary number on it.
1: Are you a business direct to consumer then?
3: Yes. Yeah. So one of the one of the more interesting aspects about the business model is I mentioned earlier accessible aerodynamics. And partly that's in terms of the way that we speak about it, the way we present our data. But it's also accessibility in terms of the price point and that's only possible with a direct consumer business model now we do have a few retail partners in the uk and increasingly around the world but by and large um, i would say 90 percent of sales are still through the website direct
1: let's take a short break and when we come back we'll talk with dove about watts for wheels you're listening to the outspoken cyclist We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Jenks. My guest is Dove Tate, founder of the Parkour Wheel Company. His program to plant trees based on the number of watts you save by using a pair of parkour wheels is his company's effort to help with the climate crisis. All right, let's talk about watts for trees. Tell us about the project.
3: Yeah, so this was this was an interesting one, it was really triggered by um, a lot of the coverage that we've had coming out of um, COP26 recently in the UK. And I wanted to look and see is there anything that we can do as a business to to new, to, to come closer to being climate neutral. Um, I'm very conscious that carbon fibre as an industry, um, manufacturers and industry is is actually quite energy intensive, um, and one of the things we looked at was saying, well, actually cycling in itself is a green sport. It's a green method of transportation, Um, but actually, is there anything we could do to trigger an improvement in that? And we've got a a, a partner in this called Ecology, who work with a number of projects around the world um, and they they work twofold. So firstly, they do tree planting um, and and forest preservation. And secondly, they look at direct carbon reduction projects. So that might be um, improving efficiency of um, energy generation on smaller scales. Um, But the great thing that they have with their tree planting is they are a very large scale organization, so they can actually conduct much bigger projects. So rather than just effectively employing somebody to go out and dig a hole in the ground and plant a tree, they can look at this on a much bigger scale, and they can they can plant forests, or they can you know re, they can reseed forests um, to the point where they've actually planted over twenty million trees. And they also have a phenomenally useful interface with online retail, where we can literally link our website directly to their platform. And so what we've said is that for every wheel set that's purchased through the website, we will plant trees. And the number of trees that we will plant will be the exact same number of watts that a rider will save aerodynamically. Just thought it was a really nice way to link it in.
1: Interesting. Watts for trees.
3: It, and that's where the name came from. So to put that into perspective, um, for our most aerodynamic wheel sets, we're talking about planting 32 trees when somebody orders that. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that we have some some sort of less aero-focused wheels in the lineup. For example, our gravel wheels, which... You know, we'll be honest, they're not aerodynamically optimized. They're designed for other for other uses. But we've said that we will have a floor of at least 10 trees planted per wheel set. So even if you order a gravel wheel set, there will be 10, 10 trees planted. And that's for every order that comes in from anywhere in the world on the website. And that's, that's an ongoing thing.
1: Oh, it's not just for the holidays?
3: No. In fact, so more so than that, we've actually said that we only kicked it off at the beginning of the month. For this month of December, we're actually going to be doubling the number of trees. So we're, we're, we're really looking to see just how many trees we can put into the ground. I mean, we're, we're looking at thousands, if not tens of thousands based on track record today.
1: So is it a portion of the sale of each wheel set that pays for these trees? Is that how it works?
3: Effectively, yes. Um, we've decided to link it to the aerodynamic watt savings, but you know, a, a portion of the proceeds from each sale will be reinvested in tree planting projects through ecology.
1: Do you have an end goal in that?
3: I mean I think the nice the nice thing would be that one day in the future we might, we might be able to take people out for a ride through the parkour forest.
1: <laughs> what a gr- the parkour forest. What a great idea. I love that. That is so cool. So are these trees are going to be planted in any specific part of the world or is it Europe or is it South America where or, do, or, or are you not specifying that with ecology?
3: So we've not specified it with them on the basis that, you know, I I wouldn't profess to be a climatologist or an ecologist. Ultimately, they are the experts in this. They know where they are A, needed and B, available to be planted. Um, I do know that a lot of their recent work has been done in Mozambique, in Nicaragua, uh, Zambia, but there are also projects within the UK. Um, so, So we're saying we will fund the trees and we'll leave it to the experts as to where they go. But you know, I do intend to follow up um, and you know keep people updated on where we're going in terms of the number of trees planted. And actually, if you look on our website at the uh, at the bottom, we've got a little uh, icon that's now showing just how many trees we have, we have planted through this, and that should be updating every month as we as we go through our go through our updates.
1: Well, we will definitely link to that. I'm going to move away from the project and from the company for a moment and ask you because you have an interesting perspective on bicycling. You come from it from a triathlon background and an engineering aerodynamic. If we Mm -hmm. look to cycling as part of a solution to the climate problems, Mm -hmm. what else do you think the industry as a whole, now I know you're in the UK, we're here in the US, we struggle all the time with uh, advocacy and those kinds of things, but there has to Mm -hmm. be a broader picture that I think everybody could agree on at some point. What do you think, as an industry cycling worldwide, we could do to really help other than planting trees? Or maybe that is the solution.
3: No, look, I think there's a lot more that we can do. I think, you know, there's a couple of arguments you can make. I think, on the one hand, you say advocacy is critical in terms of improving the opportunity to cycle. You know, I think certainly over here and from my experience in the US, it's similar. One of the big hurdles to increasing the number of people cycling is fears around safety. Right. Um, you know, there's a, I always like to think of it as that sort of field of dreams of if you build it, they will come in terms of infrastructure. So I think, you know, as a, as an industry, we can do more to to encourage that. I think there are lots of people doing a lot of great work on that front. But then I think, the other way we can we can really sort of take a lead here is in, in terms of our actual own footprint. You know, I think there is this almost sort of dirty secret, I, I would argue, within cycling that as much as the act of cycling is a green act, you know, it's 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 green transportation, um, the footprint of the product itself is still really bad. You know, let, let's not make any bones about it. Carbon fiber is not a an environmentally friendly material. So I think it's incumbent on us as an industry to do what we can to take the take the lead where possible in terms of in both improving the manufacturing process looking at the longer term picture in terms of the the full cycle of the product and also considering alternatives where possible.
1: So a couple of things come to mind right away for me one is packaging which mm-hmm. Is just beyond ridiculous with some manufacturers, uh, mm-hmm. and another is, and this is a question more than a than a possibility. Do you see something beyond carbon fiber, something that is maybe we haven't talked about it yet or done anything with it yet? Besides, of course, I'm used to aluminum rims, which of mm-hmm. course could be recycled, but. Carbon fiber right now is so hot and it's not just the wheels, it's the frames, it's bars, mm-hmm. it's stems, it's seat posts. What else do you see might be an option?
3: So, I mean, I think just to touch on the packaging point, you're absolutely right, that is, that is 100% an easy win. Um, you know, we we made an active decision um, earlier in the year to move away from um, plastic packaging absolutely where possible. Um, all of our packaging now, with the exception of the um, foam inserts in the box, is fully recyclable. Um, I think there is an argument that I think you know the biggest hurdle we found in terms of moving to an entirely recyclable packaging solution is just making sure that the product arrives in one piece and in undamaged. Um, unfortunately, you know, if if we were to deliver purely in a paper envelope, there would be so many problems in terms of damage in transit that you know we would undo all of the good work. Yeah, but your box is recyclable. 100% yeah. The box is recyclable uh, you know we're, we're not using single use plastics in terms of um you know accessory bags or anything like that so we're really cutting down on that. Um but then in terms of in terms of carbon fiber I think it's a really interesting one there's there's a lot of there's a lot of very smart people looking at it. Um I think from a very from you know from a very technical perspective, effectively what carbon fiber is is the sort of the woven fibers and the, the bonding agent, the resin. Um, the majority of carbon fibers that are used in, in the cycling world are use a thermoset resin, which means that as soon as it's cured, as soon as it's baked, then it's set and it's hard and that's it. That is the end of life cycle. So when we talk about carbon recycling at the moment, you have to first remove that resin. And the only way of doing that effectively is by burning it, which in itself is not a a green solution. So there are definitely avenues to look down in terms of using a thermoplastic resin. Um, That means that once it's solidified, you can still heat it and it becomes liquid or it becomes, um, becomes viscous again. And you can then separate that out from the fibers a lot more easily without having to burn it. There are downsides with that however i don't think that's insurmountable and we're already seeing a range of products that use thermoplastic fibers as opposed to thermoset fibers but ultimately the big problem we come up against is that the fibers themselves have to be laid in a particular structure in order for them to give the properties that we need so what you don't see is even with a thermoplastic fiber or sorry a thermoplastic material um, the fibers themselves cannot be recycled and reused in the same way they are just redeployed into a different setup so it might be uh, so in fact it, it means it can't be used in quite such a structural way um whether or not there is something beyond carbon fiber is a great question I like to keep a, a close eye on sort of the material side of things as well there's nothing that's truly been able to bridge the gap between the high performance, high strength and low weight that carbon fiber provides. And I think that with the nature of cycling being very tech driven and very sort of tech focused until we can deliver the same benefits with an alternative material, I don't think it's realistic to move.
1: Too bad, right?
3: I mean, it would be great. But I think, you know, there are other things we can focus on. So we can focus on things like, you know, the product longevity and the product lifespan. Um, You know, you don't have to recycle it if it lasts longer. I think, you know, we, we touched on it earlier, but now that now that the industry as a whole is moving towards disc brakes, certainly the rims are gonna be much longer lasting. You know, you're not, you're not actually putting friction onto a brake track, so you're not gonna wear through them in quite the same way. We've made a real focus in terms of our wheel specs that they are all fully serviceable. So bearings are serviceable, um, they're cartridge bearings, so if they do need to be replaced, they can be done so. The spokes are all standard off-the-shelf, CX-ray spokes, so they can be replaced. There's nothing proprietary there. Um, We use external nipples. They can be easily serviced. So everything is focused around serviceability, partly so that we make our riders' lives easy, which means that as various parts of the wheel are either damaged or wear out over a long period of time, because the rim is going to outlast most of the wheel, Um, you can actually continue to service, rebuild, reuse if possible. So actually what we're looking to do is actively increase the lifespan of our product.
1: One more question about the
3: longevity of the rim itself. Mm. What about crashes? Yeah, I mean, crashes do happen. Um, It's an unfortunate nature of the world. But again, the move towards disc brakes has helped on that front because we're no longer having to use high temperature resistant resins which are inherently more fragile. So we can focus on using slightly more pliable resins and more impact resistant resins, which means that the wheels become more durable. Um, So much so that, you know, with a lot of our gravel wheels, we are struggling to find test riders who are able to break them, Um, (laughs) other parts break first. Um, So, you know, we can put a real focus on, on that in terms of durability and, at the same time, you know, within our business, we, we run a crash replacement program um, which provides discounted replacement parts should the worst happen, a part not be replaceable. So again, we're not looking at just saying, right, you've had a crash, part of the wheel has been damaged, let's write it off and move on. You know, We're actively encouraging that, that repair philosophy as opposed to just replacement.
1: Excellent. Well, this has been an interesting conversation. We've been speaking with Dove Tate, he is with parkour. It's a wheel manufacturing company out of the UK. And we're talking about his project Watts for trees. You can find all
3: of it on their website, which is. So we're at parkour. So that's P-A-R-C-O-U-R-S dot C-C. Um, and then we're at ride parkour on all social media.
1: Very nice. Well, I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me. Wheel sets are always a good gift. So that might be something somebody wants to think about. Certainly Watts for Trees are a great idea. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful holiday.
3: Thanks, Diane. It's been great talking.
1: Okay. See ya. Dove Tate joined me from the UK. For more information on the Watts for Trees program, you can log on to parkour.cc forward slash blogs. My thanks to Shannon Galpin, whose tireless efforts to support Afghan women cyclists, as well as the other human rights work she does, is always awe-inspiring. And of course, my thanks to you for listening. Next Saturday is Christmas. I hope you and your family will enjoy a day of peace, love, and togetherness. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode of The Outspoken Cyclist for the new year. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast and to share it with others. Comments on our blog are always welcome. Just go to OutspokenCyclist.com. I hope you have a great holiday. Stay safe, stay well, and remember, there is always time for a ride. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for joining us today on the outspoken cyclist with diane jenks we welcome your thoughts and contributions on our facebook page or visit outspokencyclist.com to leave a comment on any episode we will be back next week with new guests topics conversations and news in the world of cycling subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of BBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.